morning to you, Seamus Cooney. Hello, Catherine. Apamadie. Busy, busy day. And we've seen some uh, images coming out of events to commemorate, if that's the right word, to mark the second anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine. Who has been involved, please, in these commemorative events? Yeah, Catherine, I think the images that really struck me today, yesterday, the images coming out of Ukraine, uh, I think we can use the word commemorative because a lot of the emotion, a lot of the uh, stuff we're hearing is about the people who have lost their lives, people who have been injured, uh, people who have been displaced in Ukraine. Lots of events uh, right across Ukraine, of course, the second anniversary now going into a third year of Russia's invasion. And actually, Catherine, just from the European point of view, uh, yesterday we had EU leaders actually visiting Kyiv. Uh, they want to make sure that Ukraine hears this message, that the West is going to support Ukraine for as long as it takes. So taking part in some of those ceremonies, uh, hearing the testimonies, the stories of uh, ordinary Ukrainians in Kyiv were the president of the European Commission. Uh, she was there joined by the prime ministers of Italy and Belgium as well. Uh, and the Canadian prime minister was there as well. Italy actually uh, using the occasion yesterday to sign, uh, in fact, a new security and defense deal with Ukraine as well. And I think, you know, Russia will be uh, very uh, interested to see the presence there of the Italian prime minister. There had been some suggestions in the past uh, that because a far right administration had been elected and within uh, the political ranks there of the far right, there had been talk of some support for President Putin, uh, some notion, some suggestion uh, that Italy wouldn't support uh, the the uh, you know one hundred percent defense of Ukraine. Uh, well, it looks like with the Italian Prime Minister there this weekend, that's absolutely out of the window. Any suggestion of that? Uh, we had the uh, Prime Minister there, Georgia Maloney, uh, saying the message I want to send today to all the Ukrainian people is they are not alone. I want you to know that we're deeply grateful. Uh, so talking about the fact that Ukraine is also defending European security interests. Uh, and so that security and defence deal signed with Ukraine, uh, Italy just the latest NATO member to do that. Uh, if you'll recall, uh, within, uh, within the past couple of weeks, we've also had these uh, defence deals also signed by Germany and France. Also in Kyiv this weekend, Canada signed a similar pact, basically promises to Ukraine, bilateral agreements. So this talk about, you know, possibly the US, if President Trump is elected, some suggestion that the US would not um, step in and provide further help to Ukraine. These bilateral agreements, uh, individual NATO members signing these pacts with Kyiv, that seems to be a response to those suggestions, to those uh, fears voiced by some people. Uh, also, we're hearing that the Netherlands also expected to sign a deal soon with Kyiv. Uh, and, you know, all of this, in fact, uh, back in January last month, the UK uh, was the first to sign such a deal last month. All right, so very, very significant. Uh, of course, just ahead of this, the, the death of Alexei Navalny and the body has now been handed over to his 
mother Seamus the opposition leader, if we can call him that, the most vocal opponent uh, to uh, President Putin. Yeah, and you know we're asking the question: Is there a real opposition now in in Russia? Is there a, a public, a vocal opposition now in Russia? Uh, and accusations uh, over the past week, the Russian president accused of really stepping up his efforts to punish those uh, speaking out against the war, not just because the second anniversary is upon us, but also because Russia uh, is facing elections in March, President Putin widely expected to win. But some of the commentators, even in Russia, saying that President Putin has been rattled rattled by the support, the public support being voiced uh, for some of those who were against the war or who are against the war. And that includes, of course, Alexei Navalny, uh, as you say, Putin's most vocal opponent in Russia. Uh, And I would say someone who really was gaining a rising profile, even though he's been locked away in prison for all this time. uh, And of course, then his death, unexplained circumstances, causes uh, in that penal colony in the Arctic. Uh, What we're hearing tonight uh, from Navalny supporters, uh, they say that his body uh, was today, in fact, handed over to his mother, uh, Lyudmila, uh, although it's at this time totally unclear uh, if she was forced to accept this reported condition. Uh, And this is Uh, Information that's come from uh, Navalny supporters, this condition apparently that the Russian authorities uh, gave to Lyudmila, to the mother, saying that we'll hand over the body on the condition that there's no public funeral. So the body's been handed over, confirmation of that, but doesn't mean that she has accepted not to have a public funeral. Uh, We're waiting to hear that. Navalny supporters, of course, accusing President Putin of having had him killed. Uh, Don't forget that he survived that poisoning attempt back in 2020. Uh, He's endured harsh treatment in prison. Many people would say, you know, he really sealed his own fate the moment that he decided to go back to Russia. But, you know, one of the other striking things this weekend is the very public stance uh, taken by Navalny's widow, Yulia Navalnaya. She's vowing to continue her husband's fight Uh, She's calling Putin's regime demonic. Uh, And actually, you know, she's been right across European media this weekend. And in fact, uh, her whereabouts not known. Uh, Nobody's been able to pinpoint where she is. We know that she's been seen in Brussels. Uh, She was also in the US. There are some suggestions that she's not even in Russia and that she's uh, under high protection. And we can totally understand that. She's an extraordinary figure herself. What is the prospect of her picking up the political mantle as a leader of the opposition? Well, you know, Catherine, just seeing her in action, and she wasn't somebody who put herself forward in the past. Uh, Navalny, even though he was in prison, he had such a a public team around him making statements, talking to the media. Uh, There were some striking images in the past of her with her husband at various court appearances, uh, court appearances, but she really did take this backseat approach. Uh, just, uh, you know, in the last uh, couple of days, even before uh, Navalny's death was announced, she actually confirmed that in Brussels, where, where when she was attending a, a meeting of ministers in Brussels. But she does really seem to have taken on the mantle. Uh, she does, you know, uh, seem to now have this 
political leadership about her, uh, the way she dresses, the way she moves. Uh, French television tonight, for example, uh, did a profile on her saying that she really has stepped up, uh, that there's a sense of credibility about uh, you know what she's doing. Some would say very brave, given the fact that she's uh, had to uh, see this happen to her husband, very brave. Uh, and that's why that's why there are these uh, concerns about her safety, her security. Uh, there were images of her walking there on the streets uh, in, in some place in Europe, we're not sure where, uh, with very high protection. Uh, and there is, you know, a growing movement around Navalny. Um, I've seen that over the past couple of years. Um, even his supporters were saying it's a very small network, a very small organization. Well, just in the last couple of years, that really has built up, not only in Russia, but also in other parts of Europe. Uh, a lot of his team were being invited to security conferences, uh, to Brussels, as I say. And it seems like, you know, there was no hesitation, absolutely no hesitation when she was named or when she put herself forward as the person who was going to continue uh, the fight. Uh, and it's, it, it, it seems that really she has taken that on. There was no hesitation. So maybe this had already been planned, in fact. All right. Now, Germany's joined the world's legalised cannabis club. Uh, only the ninth country in the world, actually, only the third in the European Union. What's been the journey to this? Yeah, and Catherine, I was quite surprised actually doing a bit of research on this to, to see that Germany is only the ninth. I thought it was much more widespread. But don't forget, you know, this is really just legalised recreational use of cannabis. So those figures don't include countries that allow cannabis use, for example, for medical purposes. So this really is recreational use. So taking away any illegality about the use of cannabis. Uh, we know that in the in the Netherlands, for example, um, it's legal if people want to smoke marijuana in some of the cafes, but it still remains illegal outside of that context. Uh, but this is Germany uh, in the uh, parliament there, the MPs of the coalition, so a broad coalition there passing this legislation. Months of fierce debate, you can imagine, uh, from doctors, psychologists, and people in the education sector, uh, really this this great debate. The government really saying what they want to do is to crack down on the black market. And they say that the current rules uh, when it comes to drug use just not working in Germany. They say there's just a you know, massive increase <laughs> excuse me, in the number of young people, for example, using cannabis. Uh, so this message, it's been a campaign of, of, of the government, MPs, voters. Uh, and so what it means uh, is now this law means that people aged over the age of 18, so only adults here, uh, they will be able to grow and to possess limited amounts of cannabis. So it's not a free for all. Uh, we're also hearing, and this is quite tricky to understand, and, and a lot of the critics of this law, of this reform, say that it's quite confusing because what they're also talking about uh, is that if people don't want to grow their own cannabis, they can actually join this kind of voluntary association, up to 500 members. Uh, all of these members will be able to grow and distribute to other members in the club. Uh, limited quantities. It's not a free for all, as I say, so there are some limits. Uh, so, for example, for private consumption, for those who want to grow their own marijuana, cannabis, the cultivation of up to three plants per person will be allowed. Um, and that's a possession 
set at about 25 grams in public. So if, if you're you know controlled, if you're checked out by the police, if you have more than that, it will still be illegal. 50 grams in the home. However, and this is where it gets a little bit tricky, um, it's still going to be illegal to smoke cannabis, for example, around a school, uh, around a playground, but also around sports grounds. Uh, so a lot of the critics are saying it's you know difficult good to luck, get your head around controlling what, that. <laughs> that's yeah. right, and also what's legal, what's not legal. Looking yeah. at the fine, I've just given you a couple of examples, but if you actually look at the legislation, there are lots and lots of details that are still to be worked out. And you know this may change because we have the conservatives in the in the conservative party in Germany saying if they came back into power, they're going to scrap that look law at completely. Some, look, it's an interesting initiative. The challenge is always keeping keeping the use where you want it to be. Mind you. We have alcohol bans, very public alcohol bans um, around the likes of beaches and inner cities uh, here. Uh, interesting, uh, it genuinely is a club. You can join a cannabis club. So it's kind of a social network as well. Um, how long has yes. it been? How long has the campaign, you know, how long have the proposals been in the making, Seamus? Well, this has been talked about in Germany for a long time, for many years. I remember this debate, you know, when 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 the Green Party uh, really was was holding some sway and power. This was talked about. So uh, they've been campaigning about this for a long time. Uh, just in the European Union, just when it comes to to this campaigning for the legalisation of recreational cannabis. So what they're also wanting to do is make sure that they want to, you know, hit hard the dealing. They want to get rid of the black market, mm. the dealers. The violence uh, attached to that. So that's been the key part of the campaign. But, you know, it's only two countries, Malta, small island in the European Union, and Luxembourg, a very small country in the European Union as well. So Germany, major economy, major uh, country now doing this. Could this now mean that we're going to see this in other European countries like France, Spain, etc.? I'm just thinking of... um the wine consumption of the likes of France and Italy, but I, I'm off on a, I'm off on a journey now. Thank you, Seamus That's a whole nother debate. Thank you. Seamus Cooney is our Europe correspondent. He's based in Lyon.